Hi, and welcome to Lifehouse Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. My name is Ben Hobson. We'd love for you to send us any comments or thoughts you might have about this podcast. And you can find all of our contact details at www.life-house.net. Speaking this week is Mr. David Tom. Welcome back. Welcome back. Um... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach a series of messages to you that I've already preached. All right? So you're going to get them again. Since, oh, well, I preached this on, uh, in November 2006. I got this series of messages from a very old friend of mine when I was a young guy, just got getting involved in the church, and he, he shared this in a Bible study, and I said, give me those notes. And every church that I've ever gone into, at the beginning of my time at that church, I preached this message. So you've already had it. But I feel that I need to preach it again, especially in a light of the year that we have ahead of us. Uh, this is a year in which I call it's the year of no excuse. You know, the Chinese call the year of the rat, the year of the dog, the year of this. I don't know what the Chinese are calling this year. But my year, this year, our church's year, is the year of no excuse. And that's what I'm sending you in, ready or not. This is it. It's happening this year. I'm going to talk to you about how to avoid hurts and offenses and how to prepare yourself for the counterattack of the religious spirit that is coming to give you a touch-up. And the reason why it's coming to give you a touch-up is because you are going in and disrupting its operation and sending it packing, and it doesn't want it to happen. Because this is the year that we are entering into a different level of ministry in this place. So before I begin the series, I want to talk to you about four, four I've got four points of introduction, and then we're going to get into the series, and then it'll be a couple of weeks while I'm dealing with each one of the points. The first thing I want to share with you right now is... Um, our, our resolution, which I've already mentioned. Every year, we normally start with a New Year's resolution, and normally the resolution is, I put too much weight on, I'm a slob, I need to lose weight, uh, I've eaten too much over Christmas, or it's gym this year. Well, me, for me, it's running. <laughs> one, one, one run around the block, and I'll, I'm dead, finished, done. But anyway... We always have a good New Year's resolution and we come out of a holiday. But this year has been a bit of a surreal beginning of the year. It's been a bit of a surreal holiday for me because we've just come out of probably the second greatest natural disaster of Queensland history. I mean, since the 74 flood. Because since I got to Queensland, all I've heard was, in the 74 floods, the level was this high. <laughs> well, we nearly made it. Yeah, our thoughts and hearts go out to those that have lost their lives or family and, 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 and friends. But for us this year, we have a year of no excuse when it comes to discipling someone. There is going to be no excuse for us at the end of this year if the very least has not been achieved, and that is inviting someone to the Alpha Dinner. Inviting someone that is unsaved to the Alpha Dinner and try and get them on that. That is the least of us fulfilling the Matthew chapter 28. 
Our goal this year can basically be summed up in about three or four verses of scripture. I'm going to give you two verses now. The first verse is Matthew chapter 12, verse 29. And it says, and Jesus is talking, he says, How can anyone enter a strong, man, a strong man's house and carry off his possessions and first, unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder the house. I found a good scripture in Isaiah 49. 24 to 25 it says shall the prey be taken from the mighty or the lawful captives of the just be delivered for thus says the lord even the captives of the mighty will be taken away and the prey of the terrible will be delivered for i will contend with him who contends with you and i will give safety to your children and ease for them wow that is a powerful verse of scripture that is a powerful verse to go into the year because this is the year where we go into the strong man's house, where we bind him, where we take away his armor, we strip him, we send him packing, and then we take the captives. So this is the year of the no excuse. That's my first point that I want to say as the introduction. Our minimum this year is to invite an unsafe person to the Alpha Dinner, and that's June. So we've got a couple of months preparation. Get started. The second point of introduction I want to share with you is, is forewarned is forearmed. Now, let me tell you this. This is not going to give you... Um, it's not going to make things easier. It's not going to make the counterattack of the enemy any more pleasant. It's just going to make you aware of what's coming. Personally, I like to be forewarned so that I can be forearmed. He has two more verses of scripture, the same verse of scripture that I read in Matthew, but from two different men, two different other men, two different other perspectives. Mark writes in Mark 3 verse 27, he says, No one can go into the strong man's house and ransack his household goods right and left, and seize them as plunder unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may thoroughly plunder his house. Luke eleven twenty to 22 says, When a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when, when, but when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away all the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. All right? We, we, we as a church, everyone that is associated with Lifehouse Church, whether you're a written member or whether you're a non-written member, if you're associated with this church, we are going into the strong man's house. We are going to tie him up. We're going to take away his weapons. And then we're going to take captives, set them free. This is a Matthew 28 campaign. This is an Isaiah 61 rescue mission. It's deliberate. It's with intent. Now, I want to tell you this. Uh, oftentimes, when, when, when I share with people and I say, with, say to people, we're going to go to war. We're going to go and do a spiritual battle. We're going to fight a demon. We're going to take down a stronghold. They get terrified. 
Not for me, you know, and just line up behind me and stand. You know? <laughs> Let me get behind your shield. You go ahead, far ahead. All right? But I want you to listen to this. Meditate on this point. If you have been in the church for at least a year, you've already been in a campaign, you've already been in a battle, and you're already in the universal war. The only difference is now I'm telling you what's coming. That's it. Every sing, if I had to sit you, every single one of you down and get, get my interviewer, Ben, to begin interviewing you on your spiritual warfare experience, every one of you will have experienced an ambush. Every one of you will have experienced a demonic onslaught. Every one of you will have experienced a battle. The only difference is I'm telling you this is coming. And I'm telling you, we are doing the campaigning. And it's going to be worse for them than it's going to be for us. Because we're coming into their house, we're binding them, we're taking away their weapons, and we're taking away their treasure. For four years now, we've taken a battery. And now it's treasure time. I'm looking forward to that. Not even the demon likes to get his clothes taken away. <laughs> right. So he's going to fight. Forewarned is forearmed. All right? You know, some of you might think, hey, a church is supposed to be a safe environment. It's, a, it's, a, it's an environment where, where conflict doesn't take place. And, 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 and then suddenly you find yourself in an experience where things are just exploding around you and, and, and you go through a hard time, a difficult time, and you, start, you, know, and, and you come out of it and you just barely survive and you, you, you get a bit gun-shy. You get a bit shell-shocked. It's happened to all of us. And it's going to continue happening to us. But the only difference this time is we are deliberately going in with deliberate intent into a strong man's house to bind him, to take away his weapons, and to take away his treasure. That's point number two. Number one, New Year's resolution. No excuse. Number two, before you've been forewarned, so get yourself armed. Number three, and I'm going to go through these points pretty quickly. I'm just going to give you a general picture of how the enemy attacks people. Very general. Now, I want to tell you this. You have already had this teaching. I've taught this to you at length. So I'm just going to go through the highlights here. When Satan's primary attack is against Christians, and Satan's primary attack is against Christians that are mobilizing against him, and so he's going to start pressing in on you if he hasn't already done so. And so the, you, you need to start taking into account specific areas in your life and be aware and be forewarned and forearmed. This is what is going to happen. So stand firm because when you stand, he's going to flee. Erroneous doctrines, erroneous teachings, false little thoughts that come creeping in. Be aware of them. Number two, he blinds people's minds. 
2 Corinthians 4, 3 to 4. You know, when you are going out into the world to start reaching these people, you've got to understand that the enemy is there and he's blinding their minds. And you've got to start praying specific warfare prayers, strategy prayers to get through to these people. It's pointless trying to speak to these people when, when, when their minds are veiled. Another area that he's going to attack is worry. Matthew 26. So in, in, in order for us not to be pressed in with worry, we need to put our treasure where it's not going to be flood damaged. All right, Chris and I were talking just a little bit earlier on about panic. You know, when people, when the message started getting like evacuations, you know, this is happening. And people in high-line areas are starting to put their furniture up. Panic. Yeah. Treasure. Where is your treasure? Start putting it into places that the enemy can't get to. Therefore, you won't have to worry. He's going to come in and try and make you worry. Discouragement's another one, number four. He's going to try and give you discouragement. He's going to try and come and cause you to be feeling rejected and build up discouragement in you. And you need to start being prepared because you need to be aware of these situations coming. They are coming. One thing for discouragement, one thing for depression. Isaiah 61 says the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. It blows my mind when I, when I have to get in and start counseling Christians and they're feeling all down and all depressed. And I'm saying garment of praise, activity. And they don't do it. It's there. We need to be aware of these kind of attacks coming in. Another, another uh, area that the enemy might attack us generally is discontent for where we've been placed. The number one thing that Satan fell because of was he was not happy with where God placed him. All right? He wanted to be where God was. He wanted to be on the other side. He wanted to be not in his seat, but in that seat. Beware of this discontent. Number six, Satan's not going to bother you if you are contented. All right? So as a whole church, this church is not going to be content. We're going to be discontent. There's going to be a movement in this church. We are going after something. Every one of us. No excuse. And if you're going to think that you're going to hide away and become unaware, let me tell you, the enemy's going to hit you as much as he's going to hit me because you are with us. And if you are not, if, 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 if you are just like lukewarm, he's not going to come in and hammer you. Another way he's going to attack you, and this is the attack of the religious spirit, is majoring on minors and minoring on majors. Matthew 23. You want to know about how the religious spirit attacks you? Go and read Matthew 23 about the Pharisees. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. I love that. <laughs> Sidetracks. Red herrings. Taking you off the path. Getting you ensnared. Bound up so that you follow his will, satanic will. Be aware of that. Accusations, another area of attack. Number, number um, nine, accuser. Beware of accusations. Be aware of, and I'm going to be talking about this in a little bit later on, speaking negatively, speaking death. Be aware of that. Another, another area that the enemy is going to try and come in, and I'm just giving you a brief summary of all of this, is he's going to try and make you abuse the grace of God. 
okay? Abusing the grace of God. Be aware of that. Uh, Romans chapter 5, 20, right through to chapter 6, verse 3. Be aware of not misusing God's grace. And then also just physically watch yourself in the months that lie ahead. You know, just be aware of yourself. He's going to attack you when you're down. He's going to attack you when you're weak. So be aware, be monitoring yourself, keep yourself healthy. He is going to try and come in and attack you there. And he's going to be aware of puffing yourself up. Carolyn had a brilliant scripture. I should have got it from you. I said I wasn't going to use it. I'll probably use it later. It's in Deuteronomy where it says God is going to do these things amongst us. We're going to see phenomenal things take place amongst us. But God is not going to do it because of us. Because we are righteous or because we are anything. He's going to do it because of Him. And so we need to be aware of where we stand in this picture. And then finally, He's going to try and deceive you by making you think you need to be perfect before you can witness. Alright? There's only one point where you're going to be perfect, and that's when you stand for the first time before Jesus. So that's either at your death or at the rapture. So get on and start witnessing. Now, those are just a, a summary, a very brief summary, and I'm going to be touching on a lot of the stuff as we go into the series. But that's the third point I wanted to talk to you about. The first point being, this is a year of no excuse. The second point being, forewarned is forearmed. And my third point being, just be aware of this counterattack that as it comes. Number four, very simply, as we go into a season of prayer and fasting as a church, assume Everything is an attack unless proven otherwise. All right? Assume it. Assume it. Rather be safe than sorry. Be alert. Motto, I am alert. Be alert for the year. Okay? Those are my four introductory points that I just wanted to share just to give you a, a positioning of where we're going to be and what we're going to be doing as we get into the series. All right. I'm going to try and give you three points. The first point, if you want to avoid hurt, if you want to avoid offense in a church, is to keep your expectations reasonable. Avoid unreasonable expectations of the church. If your expectations are unbiblical, if your expectations are unreasonable, I'm going to guarantee it. That religious spirit is going to come in and maneuver a situation into place where you will get hurt. And you will take an offense. I'm going to share with you some of the things that have happened to this church where people have taken offense. When a person becomes disappointed, what happens is they have failed. Their, their, their disappointment comes because they have failed to have their expectations met. And if you are placing expectations on this church. Now, when I talk about church, I'm not talking about an organization. I'm talking about all of us corporately that are unbiblical. If you place expectations on the person next to you. Because they're a Christian and, 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 and you're a Christian and therefore you've got this expectation of them and they don't meet with it. 
or if you place an expectation that is unbiblical on the leadership of this church, I will guarantee you, I'll put it in writing for you. I'll sign my name to it. You will get hurt and you will get offended. You see, most expectations that get unmet and where people get hurt and damaged in the church are expectations that are unbiblical. And so people have got this expectation based on their own personal feelings, based on their own personal worldview, based on their tradition, or based on their previous church, or all this kind of stuff. And they come in, and then they have an expectation of you. And when it's not met, they take offense. Let me tell you what we are not. We are not a physical building. So the people that you begin to invite, you need to make it clear that Lifehouse Church actually doesn't have a building and they meet in a place like this. So, so if they've got any religious expectations of walking into the hallowed place of a nice chapel, high ceilings, vaulted and all quiet and monks walking up and down going, and then Ave Maria singing in the background there, that won't be met. Because we're not a... Well, we'll put a tape on. <laughs> Problem is, when they come in here, you guys practicing what they... What's it? Um, Hi, I'm Johnny Cash. <laughs> We're not a building. We don't have a building. We don't own a building. The likelihood of us getting one is like, well, God willing, one day. And it'll probably be a warehouse that'll be used in, in the midweek for soccer or something like that. There will be a gym. (laughs) The church is not a denomination. All right? It's not a denomination. The church is the body of Christ. It's not a denomination. It's not an organization. It's not a sect. The church is a collective group of people that gather together in one place. And so if if, if you come in and expect to be linked to a denomination, you're not going to have that. We're not a nationalistic enterprise. A church is not like that. So we will never become the Australian church or the Church of Australia like the Church of England. It's not going to happen. We're not that. We're not an extension of Judaism. Okay, so you're looking at the Old Testament and you've got all of these things and you come in with the, oh yeah, we're going to be part Jewish, part this, Messianic. We're not that. We're the church. We're the body of Christ. The church is not the kingdom of God either. Shock horror. It's part of the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is so big. It encompasses everything. The church is only a part of it. We're not a club either. I like that one. We're not a club. You know, there's no subscription fee that you subscribe to and then you can come in and, okay, the slots are over there and then the bowling is over there and you can get your dinner over there and, uh, yeah, and then you can go home. The church is not a club. What the church is, is militant and victorious. Matthew 16, Jesus and Peter are talking. And he says to, to, Matt, he says to Matt, who do you say I am? And, and, and Matthew gets a revelation from the Father and says, you are the Christ. And so Jesus says, blessed are you. Here, I'll read it. Blessed are you, Simon, Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. 
And I also say to you that you, Peter, and he gives Peter his new name. You, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And listen to this. This is the militant victorious part. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The church is militant and victorious. There is a purpose. There is a warfare purpose. The church has the keys of the kingdom of God. There are a number of keys mentioned in scripture. Key of knowledge. Key of David. Key of death and Hades. The key to the bottomless pit. The keys of the kingdom of heaven. And the church possesses the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? Authority. There is power and authority in the church to bind and to loose. What's significant about what we're doing this year? We are exercising this authority this year. This is divine authority. This is militant authority. We are coming into a strong man's house and we are binding and loosing. It's warfare. So we have a binding ministry. What does binding mean? You attach, you tie, you fasten. How can someone enter a strong man's house unless he first time up? So what are we going to do? How are we going to time up? Intercessory prayer and fasting. Standing firm. The church has a loosing ministry. Go and read Luke 13, Psalm 102, Mark 7. Jesus, wherever he went, loosed people from their infirmities. He loosed people from demonic bondage. Isaiah 61, going in and freeing people. There are people in our midst that we are going to go into and we are going to free them. We are going to set them free. But we have to bind the strong man first. We have to neutralize his weapons and then we have to set them free. And we have the authority to do that. There's an unshamed plug for my podcast. Session one, the moral law. <laughs> you want to know something else? An expectation of the church that you can have? The church is connected with its heavenly connection all the time. We are connected with heaven. And heaven is connected with us. And so whatever we bind on earth, that authority is recognized in heaven. And whatever we loose on earth, that authority is recognized in heaven. Can you imagine the significance in spiritual warfare where Satan is there in heaven accusing the brethren day and night? And here we stand in heaven, we stand on earth and we say, in the name of Jesus, I bind the authority of that demon in Jesus' name. And I take that person and I loose them in Jesus' name from their hold. I pronounce freedom for the captive. And here he's sitting in heaven standing before Jesus and he's going away there. This person has done this and this person has done that. And therefore you can't bless them. You have to curse them, this, that, the other. And I'll talk about curses now. And he's carrying on and Jesus says, <clears throat> point of order, your honor. What, what did they say? Objection? And the, and, and, and the father will turn to the son and say, what is your objection? Just listen to this prayer. 
And here little Lafas Lena is going, I'll bind you in Jesus. <laughs> and it just releases the angels. It just releases the anointing. It just releases the authority. We're connected to heaven. The Holy Spirit is residing in the church, in us, right here, connected in heaven. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. One of the key factors about the church is the demand for unity. I'm going to be using some uh, Acts chapter 2 verses a little later on. The demand for unity. The church is to be unified. Because when the church is unified, when the church is one, and we are unified in the name of God, in the word of God, in the glory of God, in the love of God, when we are unified in all of these things, that is when the power and the anointing and the glory comes down and it gets released. And so when we go into the strong man's house, we go in as one. We go in under unity. And the church is glorious. And the church is glorious. Let me tell you that. The Lord is not coming for some filthy bride. She has been washed in the blood of Jesus. We are washed in the blood of Jesus. And we have authority. And we need to start walking in that authority. We need to start walking in that anointing. And we need to start taking possession of the areas that God has told us to take possession of within our lives, within our family, within our friendship circle, and within the ground that God has given to us to take possession of. In spite of all of this, people still get offended. And they come into a church and their needs are not met. I, I, I can give you the reasons why faulty teachings, personal need, uh, sin, all kinds of stuff. Wrong expectations. And the enemy will use that to disrupt going into his house in unity to bind him and disrupt his operation. So he's going to come in here and so what's your expectations? Be, be careful of your expectations. Make sure your expectations are biblical. Make sure that when you feel something rise up in you, that you examine it. Check where it comes from. Get to the Bible and say, is my expectation of what I can expect biblical? Can they give it? Are they capable of delivering this? Because the, the religious spirit is going to come in and he is going to give you, a, if you, you open yourself up to him, he will give you a whole set of expectations that are the most religious, wonderful, holy sounding stuff that you will ever hear. And you'll get so pious. And he'll even sing Ave Maria to you. And you will not get them met. A religious person is a person that takes offense very easily. When you want what is not, when you want that what, what, is, what cannot be provided, when you want what will not be provided, you will get hurt and offended. So be aware. Okay, that's number one. 
Number two, I like this one. Do not place your trust in people. All right? If you do, you will be cursed. Whoa. <laughs> yes. Jeremiah 17, 5. This is what the Lord said. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. In the Amplified Version, it says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed with great evil is the strong man who trusts in and relies on frail man, me, making weak human flesh his arm, and whose mind and heart turn aside from the Lord. I found this interesting, taking this and applying it to the religious spirit and looking at the religious spirit and how it affects the church. Because the religious spirit wants to do one thing. Take your trust in God and put it into a system. Now, how does a curse work? Because we in the Western world get a bit frightened when we get these like archaic power words that get thrown out at us. Now, simply put, this is what a curse is. Go to the dictionary, look it up. I've taken out two points of a curse. An appeal to a supernatural power for harm to come to a specific person or group. In other words, you go to a supernatural power and you do your hocus pocus and you pay your money and then that person or witch doctor or whatever is going to say a curse. He'll speak out a curse and that curse will go on to the person that you want cursed. And then evil things will happen to that person. Another word for curse is excommunication. When you get thrown out. The Hebrew word ara for curse means to bind up with a spell, to, to hem in with obstacles, to make that person powerless, to, to, to make them unable to resist, and to make them infertile. Richard Longworthy says this, and I like this definition. A curse is the favor of God turned away from us and a removal of his promise to uphold all things. How many of you notice how I pray often and I say, may the favor of God be on you? A curse is the opposite in other words, it's the lack of favor of God. It's when God just withdraws from you and just leaves you to yourself. Now, for those people who are, obviously not us here, but get, are going to get a bit, oh, how can you say this one about curses? The Bible begins with a curse and ends with the lifting of the curse. Genesis 3, Revelation 22. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve them. So for humanity, they will be under the curse until that takes place. Or if you're a Christian, you've placed your trust in Christ, He's taken the curse for you 
and you are living free. But how often do we get twisted up, turned around, spun upside down, and grab hold of the first thing to trust? And then we find ourselves outside the favor of God, subject to the curse. There's four possible sources of a curse. Okay, there's four areas a curse is going to come from at you. One, it's going to come from God. Two, it's going to come from God's servants. Three, it's going to come from Satan or the demonic realm. Four, it's going to come from the satanic servants. There are about 202 curses mentioned in the Bible. Of that, 143 come from God and His servants. There are whole chapters of curses in the Bible from God. <coughs> so this shouldn't be new to us. But you know, us in our Western scientific realm, we just think, well, oh, no, it's just a little bit out there. Let's go read Deuteronomy 27 onwards. Just read Numbers 22 onwards. I mean, how many times have you heard numbers like this? May those who bless you, may those who bless you be blessed and those who curse you be cursed. That's the Old Testament. It's a very, very dangerous thing to, to, to start dabbling in curses and, and, and pronouncing curses on people. You know, really, you've got to be careful what you're doing here. <coughs> Satan understands the power of the curse. And the job of the religious spirit is to get you to walk outside the favor of God. The job of the religious spirit is to get you in your circumstance to begin clutching at other things to trust. And not keep it with God. And that's what's coming. Look, look, look what happened to Job. It's an incredible story if you're going to read Job. In Job chapter 1 verse 9, it says, Does, Satan, is, Satan is standing before God and he's bad-mouthing Job before God. All right? Listen to this. It says, Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? There is a protection against demonic forces in place around people. You have blessed the work of his hand so that the flocks of his herd spread throughout the land. So he says to God in verse 11, Stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to, your, to his face. Uh, to your face. So, Joe, so, so Satan is basically saying, well, the only reason why this person is worshipping you is because you protect him and bless him. Anything happens to him, he's going to curse you to your face. Chapter 2. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant, Job? There is no one else on him like the, in, in the earth. He is blameless, he is upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil, and he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without reason. I find the next verse, verse 4 and 5, a real good meditation point. Satan says, skin for skin. A man will give all he has for his own life. That's interesting. How far 
will you go for the Lord? And so he says to God, stretch out your hand, strike his body, and he'll curse you to your face. Okay, that's happening in heaven. How did that manifest on earth? What did it look like in everyday life? In everyday life, Job went through a business crisis. And what's the word if you lose your business? Bankrupt. He went bankrupt. Through a whole lot of disasters, bang, he went bankrupt. Then he picked up a painful disease. So he lost everything. He lost his medical, in, medical insurance. He lost his insurance. The insurance didn't bother to pay him. He lost everything. Him and his wife were sitting there alone, lost, and he's suffering in his body. And the temptation manifests in this way. His wife said to him curse God and die when the, when the counter attack comes and that is why I said in my, my introduction be alert be aware consider everything an attack unless proven otherwise you just never know how it's going to turn out Financial crisis, job crisis, family crisis, this crisis, that crisis. It, it might just mean you've got to stand strong. And you might stand, and you're going to stand. And it might happen just before you're going to have to take your, your turn in the, in, the, in the timetable to fast. Might just happen. Coincidence. Yeah, Just like you, when, you, when you come to, to church on Sunday. Walk into church and you and your wife are holding hands happily. Hallelujah. Meanwhile, you've just had a raging fight at home and you're not looking at each other, squeezing the hand too tight, (laughs) squeezing back, (laughs) claws. (laughs) You just never know what it might look like. So be alert. Be alert. Luke 6, bless those who curse you. Pray for them who mistreat you. Romans 12, 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. James 3, 9 to 10, watch your tongue in this time. We, 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 with a tongue we praise the Lord our Father and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin wrapping up now. I'm not going to go into my third point. I'll leave it for the next next week let me begin wrapping up how do I how do I trust people mm, I'll give you away some of my secrets now I trust people to the extent I know people all right when I say know people, know them intimately. With God, complete trust. With man, no trust. That's my philosophy. 
But with the people around me, as I get to know people, as I enter into a relationship with people, I will only trust them within that sphere that I know they're going to succeed. I'm not going to trust them for something that I know they're not going to do. They're not going to be able to do. They're not going to be capable of doing. And therefore, I try not to get disappointed or make them disappointed. If you understand this, then you're going to start going a long way in being able to develop good and solid relationships. Because the person next to you is not perfect. And they have a failing point. And the degree that you trust that person needs to be limited to the degree that you know that person intimately and you know, that and you know what their track record is like. So the more you get to know the character, the more you get to know the history, the more you'll be able to learn and, and, and understand their trustworthiness. The religious spirit, however, and the politically correct spirit, and I think they're evil twin sisters. All right, they're evil sisters, they're evil twins. N not you lovely twins. You're beautiful. <laughs> I saw the one giving the other one a look. <laughs> Ooh, no, no, no. Evil twin boys. <laughs> well, uh, according to David Orton, the author of the book Snakes in the Temple, the religious spirit is the Ahab spirit, so it's boys. So he goes off the hook. They will come in, all right, and they will use pressure, peer pressure, opinion, public opinion to make you trust and do things that you know commonsensically are wrong. You know morally are wrong, is wrong. And that is why they're twisting our system inside out. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 now, now also we beseech you brethren get to know those who labor among you recognize them for what they are acknowledge and appreciate and respect them all your leaders who are over you in the Lord and those who warm and, 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 and those who warn and kindly reprove and exhort you intimate relationship and understanding how far you can trust a person is going to prevent a religious spirit, as well as knowing the word, is going to prevent a religious spirit from coming in and giving you a whole lot of religious words to make you feel guilty about why you're not trusting a person that is untrustworthy. There is a difference between love and trust. And you need to be familiar with this. You need to be aware of this. Because if you, are not un if you are unaware, if you're not alert to all of these things, you're going to be swept up and you're going to keep finding yourself going into a position where you trust in someone that is untrustworthy and you're continually getting hurt and then the religious spirit is coming back at you and saying, oh, but brother, the word of God says you need to forgive them. Meaning forgiveness means you've got to trust them. doesn't mean that. You know what we had to do last year with that adulterous couple? 
word says I have to love them. Command. The word says I have to forgive them. Command. But trust is a different matter altogether. Those three things are not interconnected. Let me give you an illustration. Let me give you an illustration. Okay, you have a man that is an alcoholic and he's got a drinking problem and he drives the school bus. One day, he drives the bus, he wrecks the bus, and kids are injured and badly hurt, and they find he's intoxicated. He goes to jail, he pays his price to society, he comes out of jail, and he comes back to church. Then he says to the church, I'm unemployed. Please may I have my job back. What do you do? In a nice way, Tish. <laughs> what do you do? You love him as Christ loved you. You forgive him as Christ forgave you. But you should have your head red because you've got rocks in it if you allow him to drive the school bus again. A word comes to mind, or two words, hell no. <laughs> it would be unthinkable to do that. And yet the political spirit and the religious spirit will continue to come in and try and maneuver to get you to do and trust and place your trust in everything and anything other than the Lord God himself. Love and forgiveness is granted. It's unconditional. Trust is earned. Trust. Go look at the definition. Acquired confidence in a person's actions. When the religious spirit comes into this area, he smudges the lines. And unless you really, truly know the word, you've got to know the word, he's going to come in and he's going to smudge the lines. And you're not going to know what is truth, because that's his objective. Blind you. Come in and blind you to the truth. All right. Avoid developing unreasonable expectations. Do not place trust in people. Trust in the Lord God and him only.